it's time for us to be who we claim to be. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, your, 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 your spouse drug you, your parents drug you, then okay, you know, just, just listen in and give some grace. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you are a Christ follower. You have been called to do things differently than everybody else, and doing things differently than everybody else is actually going to cost us a little bit. It means that we're going to have to do things. And, and a lot of that just simply starts with prayer. Not the trite thoughts and prayers are with you on Facebook, but the real dangerous prayers. And so I think it's appropriate that what we talk about today is we get into this new series in Understanding Church. Uh, we get into this new thing, and we're talking to start with about prayer and fasting. The reason we have a series like this called Understanding Church is because there's some things that we need to talk about um, as a body, um, as, as uh, the church. And, and I want, so we're going to start with just some basic info. And, and one of these things is when we talk about church, we're talking about um, a local body of believers. Now, in the New Testament, we're going to read the word church in two ways. One of those is, uh, and we only read it twice in the New Testament, the word used in this way, and it's the word we use for the, the global church or the universal church. And so when we use that word, what it means is the church that's made up of all believers from all time ever. So that's the church that consists of every person that has ever or will ever follow Jesus Christ. That is the church that God refers to uh, when, when, when he talks about Jesus as the bride and the church as the bridegroom. I said that backwards. Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride, but it doesn't change anything. Um, just means I messed up already, like two minutes in. <sighs> Somebody should keep track. Anyway, that's the universal church. But everywhere else in the New Testament that we read about the church, everywhere else that we read admonishment to the church, when we read about the body of Christ, what we're reading about is a local body of believers that's connected together, that's drawn together. And so this local body of believers, uh, and we read all kinds of admonishments and encouragements to the church. And part of what we have to do here at Blessed Hope, is we have to start to understand what the church is. We have to start to understand what the church is not. We have to understand what the philosophy of the church is, and it's not a philosophy that we espouse. It's what God gives us. It's theological. It's doctrinal. What is the church for? And that's why we're going to jump into this series, because a lot of us have decided that the church is for us. And I hope that you feel like the church is for you. I hope that you feel like when you come here, you get fed, you're inspired, you're encouraged, that it's good for you. But I, I have news for you, church. The church is not for you. The church was not intended to be for you. The church is meant to be on mission for the sake of the lost. This is a place where we come and we're encouraged and we're trained and we're released. This is a place where we... Um, are built up. This is a place where we can draw people in. This is a place where we can go and be about the mission that God has given us. We have a role to play. The church is not about me. The church is also not about you. And so as we get into this series, we are going to be digging deep into this understanding what your role, what my role is 
in the church. We're going to try to understand what the church is for and how it works. Okay, so this is, this is a, a good thing for us to get into, and it starts with this idea of prayer and fasting. Uh, by show of hands, I, normally we don't actually raise hands, but we're going to do this. By show of hands, how many of you would say that your prayer life is exactly where you want it to be? All right, cool. So then we've all got something to do here today. Uh, we've all got some movement that we can make in our prayer lives because it, it, you can't see what I see um, unless you're in the very back row. Nobody raised their hand and said, hey, my prayer life is exactly where I want it to be. So we can all do two things as we get into this this morning. We can all, first of all, understand that everybody is on the same journey. And the journey is, as we talk today, it's growing in our prayer growing in the act of fasting. So we can all do that. And the second thing we can do today is we can give each other some grace. We can give each other some grace knowing that nobody has reached this pinnacle. In fact, here's the funny thing. That's why I'm glad none of you raised your hand because I want to correct you in front of everybody, but I would have. Um, You're not going to get there. It's not going to happen this side of heaven. Your relationship with God, when you get to it, we just finished a series on heaven. When you get there, your relationship with God, Jesus, is going to be perfect. Okay? It's going to be intimate. It's going to be what it was meant to be. Jesus will be, in a sense, a very real sense, your bride. No, man, I keep messing that up. It's because I'm a dude. Jesus will be your groom. You will be his bride. This relationship will be strong and solid and good. Until then, though, until we get there, we haven't experienced what it was meant to be. Nobody has since Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And so we're never going to accomplish this thing on this earth where we feel like our relationship with God is locked in and it's everything it's supposed to be. But we will keep growing and we will keep pushing ahead, and that's, that's kind of what we need to figure out today as we go. Um, but we don't pray, and we don't pray for a lot of reasons, or we don't pray well for a lot of reasons, and for some of us, it's because we're not sure how to do it. Uh, we hear other people pray, beautiful, wonderful saints um, who have been praying for a long time, who grew up reading, uh, honestly, grew up reading um, Old King James Version, of scripture. And there's nothing wrong with the old King James version of scripture. Um, it's probably not the most um, authoritative the way we were taught. Uh, now, you can argue about the new King James version, but the old King James version has more textual errors. Uh, you can do your own research on that. Um, but that's not even what we were talking about. I'm not sure why I went there. But most people, our, our, our older folks, what they did is they, they grew up reading this, this old King James version of scripture. And so there's a language that they've become accustomed to. And so when we sit down in prayer meetings or when we sit down to pray, and, and oftentimes because they're older and more mature than we are, and they've been through this for a lot longer than we have, they're the ones that lead in prayer. And when they lead in prayer, they lead with language we don't speak. They, they, they pray in language that we don't naturally understand, and it's not a natural way for us to communicate. And so we sit there and we think, man, we don't know how to pray. We don't have the language we're not sure when to drop in the uh-huhs, right? They're throwing amens out there right and left, and we're like, whoa, time out, what just happened? So 
Part of the problem is that we, we're not sure we know how to pray. There, there's more, though. Part of it is that we're not sure it does any good. Because all of us here, I mean, if we've spent any time praying, we've all prayed for something that hasn't happened. Whether it was for a spouse to get his act together, whether it was for a kid to come home, whether it was for cancer to be healed, we've all prayed for things that haven't happened. And so then we wonder, well, what's, what's going on there? And, and so not only do we, we're not sure how to pray, but we're not sure that it really matters and that it really works. Okay, and we're going to delve into those things today and we're going to tackle those things, but, but here's what I want you to know as we get started. Prayer matters. And we're called to pray. We're called to pray regularly. Look here at 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 17 and 18. It says this, never stop praying. Okay, so, so this, is, this is Paul writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this is God telling you this, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstance, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So if you are here today and you are a Christian, God's will for you is that you are always praying. Now, I think what you are smart enough to know is that always praying does not mean that you're always sitting at the table with your head bowed. But always praying means that you have what Paul calls in Philippians an attitude of prayerfulness, to be praying in all things. These are the prayers where you and God are so connected in your relationship that you're always thanking him, you're always asking him, you're always responding to him. Okay, and we'll see as we go, um, we break apart some scripture today how that works, but, but right now just understand this. The encouragement for you is that you are to always be praying. Never stop. And it makes sense because prayer has two ultimate goals. Okay? Prayer has two ultimate goals. Uh, there's two reasons that we pray that scripture teaches us very clearly. One is because it allows us to grow closer to God in prayer. And so the admonishment to never stop praying makes sense because we, through our prayer, grow closer to the God of the universe. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. He creates you lovingly. Uh, Psalm 139 tells us he knits you together in your mother's womb. Like that God knows you that intimately. He can count the hairs on your head. He knows everything that there is to know about you. Yet he still seeks to have a relationship with you. And he says, never stop praying. Because when you pray, you draw closer to God. Some of my sweetest times in prayer have been when there's no agenda other than just being with God. I'm ashamed to tell you as your pastor, but remember, you'll have grace for me because we're all on the same journey. I'm ashamed to tell you that those are not as frequent as I would love them to be. I need to grow in that. But some of my sweetest times in prayer are when there is no agenda other than just spending time with the God of the universe that made me and loves me. And if you're struggling to figure out why that's necessary or why that works, just think about it. Like, I mean, I'm sure that I annoyed Carrie something terrible last night. Here's why. Because Friday afternoon, she left town. Back to the Quad Cities to see some friends from our old church to hang out with them. They had a great time. There was a massage. Nails and are done. Um, you can ask her to see him later. It'll make her happy. But, but all of that happened. 
And then she got back into town last night, and she went straight to, to the performance over at the middle school uh, and, and really enjoyed that. But the whole time, I'm sitting at home going, okay, I need Carrie to get back. I was kind of jonesing for some Carrie. And then she gets back. It's like 9 o'clock, and then I'm like, I'm on her. Like, what'd you do? How'd it go? Did you have fun? Let's talk. Let's sit down. Let's do... And she's like, man, I just got home. I just, I, just let me be for a second. I'm like, no, let's... That's how I feel when Carrie's gone for a day and a half. But the most important person in my life, the one who loves me better than Carrie ever could, even though she loves me with everything she has, the one who sustains me, the one who gives me every good gift, the one who has rescued my soul, the one to whom I'm betrothed for all of eternity, Sometimes it's hard for me to spend five minutes without getting bored. And there's a disconnect. But God says, never stop praying, because when you pray, you grow closer to him. And that is all he wants. He wants you to grow closer in relationship to him. It's his heart's desire. And the second thing is because what we read in Scripture is something that completely boggles my mind something that I would never believe it if I didn't read it in God's word. But God chooses often to act in response to our prayers. I don't know why that is, why the God of the universe, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God, who knows everything, who is good and faithful and holy and just, uh, why that God would use my prayers as the basis for movement in the world, I have no idea, but I know it's true. And so I know there's another reason to pray. It's, it's growing closer to God, but it's also because God is gracious to work through our prayers. And as a church, not just individually, individually this matters, but as a church, we've got to grow in this for two reasons. One, because there are people that live in Vinton that are going to hell. And we talk about this all the time, and, and, and you might think I enjoy saying that because I say it a lot. I don't enjoy saying it, but there are people that live in Vinton that are going to hell. Worse than that, there are people that live in Vinton that think they're good that are going to hell. And then a step further, the world is falling apart. So it is incumbent on us to be a church known for prayer. A church not that sends out trite thoughts and prayers when something happens, but a church that's known for being on its knees before that thing ever even happened. Many times, because of our prayerfulness and our work in the community, pushing back those things. And you're like, Matt, that can't possibly work out. You know what? Read scripture. Read scripture and tell me it can't possibly work. Prayers matter. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to jump in here um, and we're going to break apart uh, a prayer that you know well, um, probably. It's the Lord's Prayer, uh, and we're actually going to say it together. Uh, and that's how most of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, is we're used to saying it together. Um, it, it actually was not given by Jesus as something that we should just repeat all the time. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, it's not wrong for us to say it together. Uh, it's good for us to say it together. 
um, every now and then, it's also good for us to, to tear it apart a little bit and understand what it is that God's trying to communicate to us through this text. And so here's what we're going to do. It's up on the screen. Man, for some reason, the screen is awfully tiny today. Um, and so if you have to squint, um, squint away. If you say the wrong word because it looked like something else, that's okay. We won't judge you. Um, but let's all say this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you're, if you're here from a Catholic background, you know that is the Our Father. Uh, if you're here from a Protestant Reformed background, uh, you know that as the Lord's Prayer. If you're here from an evangelical background, you probably didn't read that much um, liturgically in church growing up. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not like one is better than the other. Um, but we're going to tear this apart just a little bit so we see exactly what Jesus is talking about and instructing us in this prayer. And we start at the beginning. Okay, um, before Jesus says, this then is how you pray, he goes out of his way to tell us how not to pray, okay? Uh, and so he starts this in verses five and six of chapter six in Matthew. You can go ahead and flip to Matthew six if you've got a Bible and want to follow along. Otherwise, it's up there on the screen. It says this, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly, where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they'll ever get. But when you pray, pray to your father in private, then your father who sees everything will reward you. And so we read this and we get this weird little picture here, something strange that says there, there's a difference between the way we typically think of prayer and the way that prayer is actually supposed to happen. Okay? And Jesus says, if what you're worried about is other people when you pray, then the only thing that will ever be impacted with your prayer are the people that are watching you do it. And the reason for this is, is Jesus was referring to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who would get up and, and they would start uh, rambling on in these long, eloquent prayers. Okay, And so everybody would be watching the Pharisees and the Sadducees with these long, rambling prayers, and they would be sitting back and they would be going, man, that guy is holy. That guy must really love God. Look at how much he's praying. Look at the words he's using. Man, that guy must be the best. At this time, we would have called them Jews, but, but that guy must be the best Christian ever because think of, look, look at the words and the length that he's praying. I mean, I can't pray for three minutes without losing my train of thought. You ever, that ever happened to you? Like you're praying, you're praying, I'm praying for my wife and my kids, and I'm praying for my wife and my kids, and then I'm thinking about baseball. It happens. I got some serious ADD that happens in, in my brain um, because I have ADD, but also because when I go to prayer, it's intensified. Satan. Satan whispers to me when I pray. He whispers about good things that aren't great things when I pray, and so I think about those. He whispers about worries that I shouldn't have, so I think about that when I'm supposed to be praying. That never mind, doesn't matter, but, but that's what happens to me a lot. But we, we see these people, and they stand, and they have these long, eloquent prayers, and we think, oh my goodness, two things. One, that guy is really holy. Two, I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be good at praying because I can never be that. And Jesus says, no, 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 that stinks. 
That's not what I want. That thing that you look at and say, man, that guy is really good, that lady is really good at prayer because she stands up in front of everybody and he stands up here and he has this long, eloquent, everything is perfect, he doesn't stumble over his words. It's, it's almost like he wrote this prayer out before he got here so he could just read it to you. Jesus says, you know what reward that guy gets? All of the great things that people think about him when he prays out loud, that's what he gets. Those prayers don't mean anything to the God of the universe. Jesus says, don't be like that. They pray out loud publicly so everybody can see them, and that's the reward they get. That's the only reward they get. But you, no, 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 you pray privately. Now, I want to be clear, that's not saying that you shouldn't pray publicly. We pray publicly. I'm not breaking Jesus' rule when I lead you in prayer. Lisa leads you in prayer when she's done uh, with a set of worship music before she goes sits down. She's not breaking this rule. The point that Jesus is making here, though, is check your heart when you pray. Who is your prayer about? And it should just be about you and God. Your prayer is between you and God. You should pray with other people, sure. You should pray for other people, absolutely. But your prayer is always about you and God. If it ever stops being about you and God, you've crossed a line and God's not listening anymore. That sounds harsh, but those aren't my words, those are his. When I used to go to prayer meetings at Bethany as a young, immature Christian, and my prayers were designed to elicit the most uh uh-huhs, amen, yes, from the people that had their heads bowed praying, Like, that's what my prayers were for, for a little while, when I was, you know, like 25, trying to figure this out. I'm praying, and they're listening, and I'm like, you know, saying things on purpose to elicit these responses. You know what Jesus said? Those prayers were worthless to him. They were great for making those people think I was a holy guy, but they were worthless to him. He keeps going. He says, look, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them because your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Some of you are so nervous to pray out loud in front of other people because you're not sure you sound eloquent enough. You, I mean, honestly, we've had this conversation. You don't want to pray out loud in front of other people because you think you'll sound stupid because your words are simple and you fumble and your prayers are short but they come from your heart and that's what God wants. God says, don't be like those people. Don't be like those people who just babble on and on and on and just say things because they think the more they say, the more God will hear. God says, no, 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 no. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you sound like when you pray. As long as your heart is communicating with his heart. It's simple stuff. See, one of the reasons why prayer is so hard for us is because we have gone and we have made it overly complicated. But prayer is simple. And you know, there's one thing I know from from what I read about Jesus in Scripture and the things that he says. Jesus absolutely despises, and and I'm not using a word that's too strong there. Jesus despises long, showy prayers. Jesus responds to authentic 
heart prayers. And you get that. I think I've, I've used this example with you before, but, but let's pretend that... Um, Let's pretend that I have a child. I have three, but let's pretend that when they were younger, they were scared of the dark. That never happened. Travis and Aubrey were always brave and tough. Um, but for the sake of argument, let's say that they used to be scared of the dark and have night terrors. Happens, happens to a lot of kids. I think it happened to me when I was a kid. It's just one of those things. Uh, because the world is evil and the times are evil and, and we see things and process things and hear things that we shouldn't have to deal with. Um, but, but what do I want to hear from my kids? Do I want to hear, as they call for me, grand, omnipotent father of the household, I beseech your presence, great provider of all that I have, grant me thy presence through the long watches of the night, for lingering fears beset me verily until dawn first rays, at last light my heart with hope. Do I want to hear that from my kids, or do I want them to crawl in my lap and say, Daddy, I am scared? They both mean the same thing. I mean, I wouldn't mind being called grand omnipotent father of the household, <laughs> but I got an ego on me, so... No, I mean, it makes sense to us when we think about it that way. It's like, as fathers and mothers, we just want genuine, heartfelt, honest communication with our kids. That's all the God of the universe wants from you. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. It matters that it's from your heart to his. And so then God tells us, um, he says, then this then is how you should pray. And he goes into what we know is the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, um, and, and he goes into this prayer. And when he gives us this prayer, he says, this then is how you should pray, not meaning say these rote words over and over again, but this is the model for your prayer. This is the heart of real prayer. This is what true prayer is really about. And so we're going we're gonna to break this down here a little bit. One is we get excited when we pray. Think about just this first verse in, in, in 6-9. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And you're like, okay, Matt, you and I speak different languages because why is that exciting? You're like, whoa, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. You're like, that is really exciting. Get you right off the bat. Think about this, though. Jesus says, hey, when you pray, pray like this. First thing you do, acknowledge that you've just entered the throne room of God Most High. That you, that I, the little peon that I am, have been invited in to the throne room of the God of the universe, the God that spoke everything into existence, the God that maintains it with his very thought, the God who is pleased to move in response to my prayers. I've been invited into the throne room. I don't, listen, if you really understand what's happening when you go into prayer, you won't fall asleep. You won't get bored and you won't get sidetracked. I mean, yes, humanly speaking, you're going to wander, you're going to waver, but you'll always be drawn back because this is the God of the universe. Let me ask you this. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand because it'll be embarrassing for you. How many of you can tell me what happened with the Kardashians in, sometime in the last month? A good chunk of you. And some of you have a look of disgust on your face, but you can tell me what Ben Shapiro or Matt Walsh or Tim Tebow has said in the last couple of months. And the reason that's problematic for you is because when it's a celebrity, 
We're like, yes, I want to know everything that happens with that celebrity, right? I mean, Jimmy Kimmel says something and we melt like, oh, it's Jimmy Kimmel and he said this great thing. Or somebody argues with Jimmy Kimmel and we're like, yeah, argue with Jimmy Kimmel and that's great. And we track all of that. Like we want to know what every celebrity ever has to say. Yet when we get to go into the throne room with the God of the universe and have a one-to-one conversation with the God who creates and sustains all things, we get bored. Like I can, I can watch E! Entertainment News for hours on end. I can scroll through Facebook, but I'm going to get bored having a conversation with the God of the universe. It's just a wrong understanding. And some of you, even though you know what's happening when you pray, you get this feeling like it's one way. You feel like you're leaving a message for God, right? He'll check it on his machine later, right? You're praying and, and you're kind of you're giving this to God and you're like, okay, well, okay, he'll check that later and he'll get back to me. Or you feel like it's kind of like writing a fan letter. But when you pray, you are entering into the throne room of God. So when you pray, pray like this, our Father, in heaven, may your name be kept holy because you are the holy God of the universe and you have brought me into your presence and it doesn't get better than that. And he continues, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's this other thing that we start to understand here when we pray is that we're praying um, for God's will to be done. Can I tell you something? Prayers that are prayed in God's will are always answered yes. Now, in a lot of ways, that makes it simple. In some ways, that makes it hard because in some ways, we pray for things that God says no to and we think it should be in his will. Okay? We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But, but the reality is we pray these prayers. When we pray in God's will, the answer is always yes. When your will is aligned with God's will, then things happen. And when I pray, may your kingdom come soon, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of righteousness. It's the kingdom of holiness. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think that God has to ask twice in heaven? When God wants the angels to move, when, when God communicates with our departed um, loved ones, um, our saints that are, that are in heaven now, when God speaks, do you think that it's like, like he has to ask twice. I mean, I ask my kids to do things. I got to ask twice, sometimes. Occasionally, three times. That's not the way it happens in heaven when God speaks. When God speaks, it happens. And so our prayer is, God, I want your will to be done here on earth the same way that it's done in heaven because everything that you desire in heaven is done here beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's done immediately. I want it done. I want it happening. I want your kingdom to be real. I want shootings to stop. And when they happen, I don't want them politicized. I want people to come around evil and, and, and just love it to the point of its redemption because that's what God wants. That's his will. And so we say, God, we want your will to be carried out here just like it is in heaven, to be carried out here. When we pray that way, when we pray in God's will, then that's when things happen. But, but here's the problem. Sometimes we've turned our prayers into our list of uh, gift ideas. A lot of times we pray, um, we're, we're praying our list of, hey, God, this would be great. You know, and if that worked out, that would be cool. And God, please do this for us. And God, please do that there. Please make this happen. Uh, and, and some of those prayers are in his will. And some of them are not. 
doesn't mean that any of them are bad, but, but when we pray, oftentimes what we do is we try to reduce God to this genie that we can rub, and, and he'll give us what we want. It doesn't work that way, though. That's not what prayer is about. When we pray, and we pray that God's will be done, then that's what happens. And that's the promise anyway. If you read Romans 8.28, what God promises in Romans 8.28 is not to make your life easy, but he says God will use everything that happens for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we think, well, I break a leg. Well, God will use it for good. Or, or there's a car accident. God will use it for good. There's a shooting. God will use it for good. And we can trust that. But it doesn't mean good the way that we would think of it. It means the way that's called according to his purposes. And God will often use tragedy and hardship in a way that works. And there's some reasons. God, well, let's just break into this. There, there's some reasons God says no. Oh, first, let me tell you this. Here's the promise. First John 15 says this, and, and we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Well, what pleases him is what's in his will, right? And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for when it's in his will. But there's some caveats there. There's some reasons God doesn't answer your prayers. And if you're here today and you're thinking, well, God just doesn't answer my prayers, there's some reasons. First of all, unconfessed sin. If you have unconfessed sin in your heart, David says this in Psalm 66. He says, um, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, you would not have heard me. So in a very real way, it's poetic, but in a very real way, what David is saying is that if I hadn't confessed the sin in my heart, you wouldn't even have listened to my prayers. My prayers would have been worthless. I would have just been speaking into the air. Nothing would have happened. Why? Because we started with our Father who art in heaven. May your name be kept holy. I can't say, oh God, you are holy, and I want to pray to you in your holiness in the throne room of God when I have unconfessed sin in my heart. How can I be confused when God doesn't hear that? Uncertain faith, James 1, 6 through 8 tells us that, that uh, uh, when you pray without faith in the God of the universe, that you're like a ship tossed around on the waves. Unforgiveness or um, conflict that continues. And, and we read there in Matthew 18 about the, the, the unforgiving debtor whose master forgives him um, the equivalent of millions of dollars of debt. But then for a couple thousand dollars in debt, he has somebody else thrown in jail. Like, like, you forgive me millions, and I go here, and somebody owes me 20 bucks, and I'm like, you know what, throw them in jail until they can pay it. And God says, that's, that's what it's like when you won't forgive people that have hurt you, because I've forgiven you everything you ever did wrong, and everything you ever did wrong is an affront to the God of the universe. I have forgiven you all of your sins. So when you refuse to forgive somebody else, and some of you have used those legit exact words with me, I refuse to forgive. When you refuse to forgive, your prayers don't work. God doesn't hear them. God doesn't hear them not because I want you to forgive. God doesn't hear them because he says you don't get to say, God of the universe who forgives me everything, please hear my prayer at the same time when you refuse to, to give somebody who Forgive somebody who, who has offended you and hurt you and maybe hurt you deeply, but has hurt you a whole lot less than you have offended God. And God says, I give you ultimate forgiveness. You can pass it along. As a caveat there, I don't ever want you to be confused. Forgiveness does not mean you put yourself back in a dangerous situation. 
Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Forgiveness doesn't even mean, hey, let's go have the relationship we used to have. Forgiveness just means I've stopped being angry at you about this offense. I'm no longer holding it against you. Okay? And unchecked motives. Uh, James tells us that uh, oftentimes God doesn't answer our prayer because we ask for the wrong things. We ask with wrong motives. We ask for our benefit, not for the benefit of his kingdom. You want to know if you're praying in God's will? Here's a simple thing. You want to know if you're praying in God's will? Who is the direct recipient of the answer to your prayer request? Is it you? If you pray and the only person impacted by the, okay, Matt, I'm going to give you what you prayed for. If I'm the only one that benefits from that or my family is the only family that benefits from that, then guess what? I'm not praying in God's will. We keep going. Um, Sometimes God's no for what feels like it should be a good prayer is actually him being merciful on our behalf. Have you ever prayed something and you were sure it's what was good for you and you were sure it was right and it felt like this would be the best and, and because you're smart, I mean, you're smart, you're smart people, you're good looking, you're intelligent, proud of you guys. Just wanted to affirm you a little bit before I tell you this, but you're not God. You're not God. God's smarter than we are. But, but I, I've prayed for things, and I'm like, I am sure this is in God's will. I'm sure that he'd want me to have this. And so I pray for it, and yet God doesn't give it. He doesn't allow it. And so then I wonder, like, why in the world would God not allow this? Because this is good. This is right. And sometimes I just have to acknowledge that my limited view doesn't work. You ever had a kid in the same room as a box fan? What is a toddler going to want to do with a box fan? Stick their fingers in it because that seems like it would be a good idea. Think about it. We have to put plugs. We have to put plugs in light sockets. Like like plastic covers. Why? Because to a kid, it seems like the greatest amount of fun ever to stick something in that light socket. And to them, that seems like it's going to be the best thing ever. It's what I want to do. I want to stick that fork in that light socket, Mom. It's going to be great. I'm going to stick my finger into the holes of this box fan because I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be awesome. And we as parents, because we know better, because we are grand, omnipotent fathers of the household. We say, no, you can't. It's not good for you. I know it seems like it should be, but it's not what's best for you. We know better, so we say no. And what happens? They scream like bloody murder, like we're torturing them. That's how we are as adults sometimes when we pray. We ask for things. We beg for things, we want things, and God doesn't give us things, and then we throw our hands up in the air, we pout, and we say, well, prayer doesn't work anyway. Without understanding that maybe the answer no to our prayer is more merciful than we could possibly imagine. I've given you this example before, but, but if you think about a couple who so desperately wants to have a baby, 
And they try and they try and they try and they pray and they pray and they pray and maybe they even spend money on, on fertility things and they, they just so desperately want to have a baby. And why would that not be in God's will? God says in Genesis, go, you know, conquer the, or, uh, conquer the earth, be fruitful and multiply. You know, um, children are, are, are um, like arrows in the quiver um, to the aged. And we read all of those things. Children are God's design. And they want to have a baby so desperately and they pray and they pray and they pray and they fast and they commit and they do all these things and, and God's answer is no. And we say, well, that's in God's will. Why would the answer be no? Maybe God has something better for you. I've known many of those families who have received the blessing of adoption and didn't just bless their family but blessed children that needed a home to love and care for them and raise them and teach them the ways of God. Use this example before. The worst thing I could possibly imagine, the worst thing I could imagine in my life is Carrie getting sick and dying. Temporarily, temporarily, that's the worst thing I can imagine. And so if Carrie gets cancer, and I beg God for healing, how is that not in his will? How is it not in his will to heal my wife if she's sick? And, and, and so I beg and I pray and I fast and I, and I ask God and I pour myself out. And God's answer is no. Why would that be? Yet what if in his grace, it was Carrie's death and her testimony, the testimony of her life and her confidence and her assuredness and everything else that came with it that brought her sister and her mother and her brother, who we've been praying for their salvation for years now. What if that's what it took to bring them to saving faith so that we could all be together as a family for all of eternity? Then all of a sudden, God's no, which feels like he's spitting in my face and kicking me in the stomach, all of a sudden is more merciful than I could ever possibly have imagined. We're not God. There's a plaque I have. I think I've told you about my plaque before. It sits in my house and it says, today I'll let God be God because I suck at it. Because in this moment of healing, what might it cost? God knows more than I do. And his no to my prayer doesn't mean he's not real and it doesn't mean that prayer doesn't work and it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. It means I have to trust that he knows better than I do. And then we get here, Matthew 6, 11. It's okay to ask. Give us today the food we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the food we need. Why? Because you're the God that loves me and cares for me and wants me to ask. You want me to ask for the things that I need. You want me to ask for the people in my life. You want me to ask. So pray and ask. Ask with boldness because God is not miserly. God is not holding back from you. There may be times that God says no, and when God says no, I have to understand he knows better than I do, but there are a lot more times that God is going to say yes. And your prayers matter. Your prayers move the God of the universe. This is why I need you to pray them. Daniel 10, 12 tells us this. An angel shows up to talk to Daniel to interpret a dream that Daniel had. The angel's words to Daniel in Daniel 10, 12 say, from the minute you started praying for understanding, God has been working to get you the answer. From the moment you started praying, God dispatched me so that I could come here and answer. What happens if Daniel doesn't pray? 
If Daniel doesn't pray for understanding, then when we read the book of Daniel, we have all kinds of information about a goofy dream Daniel had, but we have no interpretation about what it means for the future of the world and what's to come. But because Daniel prays, only because he prays, we have the explanation. So what the angel says, from the minute you set on your heart to pray and seek understanding, God's been working to get you the answers that you desired. Exodus 32, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting the laws for Israel. Israel gets dumb, and they start worshiping golden calves and having an orgy. Like the nations around them, when they worship their gods, it's detestable to God. And so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wipe them all out. Every last sinful, awful, wretched one of them. I'm going to kill them all because of their unholiness and unfaithfulness. And Moses, I'm going to start over with you. And Moses begs God not to. And God relents. Why? Because Moses begged God not to. What happens if Moses doesn't beg God not to? There is no reason to assume that God would not have wiped out the Israelites and started over with Moses. In God's timing, it would not have made one lick of difference. Our Old Testament would read a little bit different. Genesis 18. God lets Abraham know that he's about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham begs, what if there's 50 righteous people. Will you let them escape? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? Turns out it was just Lot and his family. And, but, but Abraham's prayers of, please, no, caused Lot and his family to be spared. And an angel moved them out of the city before it came to destruction. God is pleased to move at our prayers. I can't explain it. I can't. I don't know why that is, but the word tells me that it's true. And so it's what we do. And we don't give up. And some of you are like, well, I've prayed. I prayed once, and that was it. You know what? Be like the persistent widow in Luke 18. You know what the persistent widow in, in Luke 18, you know that parable? She went to the judge who denied her request, and she hounded him. She hounded him until he finally relented and gave in. And so Jesus says, you know what? It, your God in the uni- of the universe isn't like that judge right? He's not evil like that judge. He wants to give you good things. So pray persistently. Don't give up praying. Because even with an evil judge, he finally gave in. How much more so will the God of the universe give us what's good? And so some of you here have been praying for your kids, desperately praying for your kids. Don't stop. I have been desperately praying for mine. I should not stop. Some of you have been praying for a wayward spouse. Don't quit. Don't give up. Some of you have been, have been praying for your siblings. I feel like when I say, yeah, I mean, I, I, we, we kind of go to that well all the time because it's personal to me, but some of it, we've been praying for our siblings, our friends, our family members that we just so desperately want to come to know Jesus. Don't quit. Pray until something happens. Push. It's the acronym. Pray until something happens. Do not quit. Be persistent. We keep going. Forgiveness is the key. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. 
We talked about this. Forgiveness is the key. Here's what I need you to know. You do not need to be perfect for God to hear you. You are broken. You are messy. I know I say that all the time, but you're broken. You're messy. You're gross. So am I. I am broken. I'm messy and I gross. I'm gross. Gross is not a verb. Maybe it should be. But you don't have to be perfect for God to hear you, but you know what you need to do? You need to be honest. It's where it goes back to confession. If I hadn't confessed the sins in my heart, God wouldn't have heard me. Men, I want to talk to you men for a second. It's time to step up and act like men. It's time for you to lead. It's time for you to lead your families. Confess the sin of your heart. Step into God. Draw a line in the sand. I mean, this is going to sound cheesy and stupid to some of you. I don't care. Do it anyway. Confess the sins of your heart to God. If it's helpful, confess them to me, to your small group leader, to somebody else too. But confess the sin in your heart and walk around your house praying. Again, I'm talking to myself here as much as I'm talking to you. Say enough is enough. Yeah, kids, I know, I know you don't want to do this. This is Aubrey, Travis, you guys get ready. We're going we're gonna to experiment with this later. I know you don't want to do this every night. I know you don't. And I know that the novelty wore off when you were seven. And now you're teenagers. But you know what? You go to school every day and you have people tell you crap I wish they wouldn't tell you. You have people challenge your faith. You have them lie to you because Satan is wise. But you know what? Not here. We're going to draw a line in the sand and we're going to confess the sin of our heart and we're going to, we're going to put our hands together and, and we're just going to pray. Ladies, you can do that too, but men, I want you to lead your... your I want you to lead your families. And listen... Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. It's the last thing when Jesus ends this prayer. Um, he says, the last thing is we ask God to deliver us from the schemes of the evil one. Temptation is all around you. We talked about that last week. Satan roars around uh, or roams around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour this culture is trying to sidetrack you. It's a carnival of counterfeits. It's trying to get you every time. Don't get sucked into that. Stand firm. And you know what you have to do? You have to listen. There's an old story about this woman who was at, at a fork in the road, and uh, somebody was watching her from a distance, and she stood here, and uh, there were two paths, and, and uh, she picked up a stick, and she threw it high in the air, and it landed pointing this way. Kind of shook her head. She picked up the stick. She threw it high in the air, and it landed this way again. <sighs> Did it a third time. Picked up the stick. She tossed it high in the air, and it landed this way again. Finally, somebody came out and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm, I'm asking God for guidance in which direction I should go. And the guy's like, man, the stick pointed this way. And she's like, well, I'm waiting for God to get it right. If you're going to ask God, you better listen. This is rubber meets the road stuff, church. You don't get to pray dangerous prayers as a church. 
and then not listen when God tells you. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Okay, and covenant members of the church, we aren't just called to pray individually, but to pray earth-shattering, dangerous prayers for the church. Because we follow the God of the universe, our lives need to be better, but our community needs to be better too. And if we sit back and we say, okay, God, change our community, his answer is going to be, that's why you're there. That's why we're here. Okay, last thing I want to share with you here, just simply about fasting, is this. It's normative. Uh, This is how Jesus ends this chunk of scripture. It says, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. This is just like praying. If you fast, and we've asked you to fast before, and heads up, I'm going to ask you to fast when we finish this. Not from lunch today, don't worry. Some of you are like, but I've got plans at pizza. It's going to be okay. But I'm going to ask you to fast. And, and when you're called to fast, you don't walk around looking like a beat puppy. And when somebody says, oh my goodness, what's wrong? Oh, I love God so much I'm fasting. <laughs> because right there, what they give you, whether it's, oh, you know what? I'm so proud of you. Or, oh, that must take so much strength. That's what you get. That's it. But we keep going. When you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face. Basically, it's like get ready to go, look like every other day. I don't know how many of you put oil on your face when you get ready to go, but if you had lived then, you would have. Okay, it was dry. Put oil on your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's pretty simple stuff. This is my problem with Lent, by the way. When you give up something for Lent... Why do I need to know? Why do you need to blast it on Facebook? I'm not like, why do you? Like, I'm pointing at any in particular person. I'm actually thinking very specifically of someone that that I know from my my prior church. Um, Why? You know what you get for that? You get whatever thoughts the people give you because you made it very clear in public that you were sacrificing for God. Those of you that do it, and I'm not saying it has to be a secret. If I say, hey, man, what are you doing for Lent? And you say, I'm not doing anything. I'm not mad at you. Read through all of this. You're never going to find Lent in here. Okay? You're just not. But if I ask you what you're doing for Lent, or you ask me what I'm doing for Lent, and I give you my answer, that's not sinful. It doesn't mean I've wasted everything, but, but what it means is that, that I'm not looking for your accolades. As soon as I start looking for your accolades, man, I've lost everything that I was going to get that's good. And that's how it is with fasting. But the discipline of fasting is, it's a, it's a theology of self-sacrifice and relationship. What you do when you fast is you give up things that are good so that you can focus on what's best for a time. Uh, in the New Testament, Paul talks about, you know, even to the degree of fasting from sex as a married couple. It says, don't deprive each other sexually in a marriage unless it's in agreement and it's for the purpose of prayer. It's a model for fasting. So we say, we're going to stop. And, and, and here's the thing is, it's not like, well, we're, we're not doing this now, so I'm just going to go watch TV instead. No, 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 no. You're fasting from food. It's not like, okay, well, I'm skipping lunch today, so I'll just work straight through. 
you're fasting from Facebook, it's not like, okay, well, I'm not on Facebook right now, so I'm going to get on Instagram. <laughs> no, no. The purpose of fasting is simply so that I can take the time that I was pouring into that and I can spend it in my relationship with the God of the universe. I'm going to ask you to fast. We've been fasting. Your elders, and I'm, again, I'm not breaking any rules by telling you this. Uh, your elders have been fasting. Uh, each elder took a day of the week. Okay? And we asked you, hey, pick a day of the week and join us. Um, and we did that leading up to our meeting, our, our, our elder conference, our retreat that we spent, and your prayers made a difference. I told you that. Your prayers made a huge difference, and so I want to ask you to continue that. Do it again. Keep doing it. Keep praying and fasting for us. There's a sign-up sheet out on the table there. Okay, I don't need all of the information about what you're going to fast from or this or that, but if you want to join us, I would love to know, one, because it will encourage me, and two, because I'd like to encourage you in that process, uh, send you some information about fasting and, and, and send you some things to be praying about. Um, and so there's a sign-up sheet. If you choose to join us one day a week in a fast of some kind, sign up and just tell us the day because then one of the elders will, will always be praying on that day and will know that you're praying and fasting with us. Uh, there's another thing out there um, is a sign-up sheet. I, I'm asking you, um, if you feel so inclined to sign up to be on an Easter prayer team. Easter is a big deal. You know that. Um, Easter is a big deal because, well, there's the whole salvation, resurrection thing that happens. But Easter is a big deal because in our culture, okay, Easter is the time when marginal Christians, nominal Christians, people that think they're saved, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus, or their family members who have never claimed to have a relationship with Jesus, but, but come because they want their moms and grandmas to be happy, or because uh, it's just that's what you do in our culture on Easter. Easter is usually filled with people that don't normally attend church. The fancy word we use for that is Christers, Christmas and Easter, put together, because that's usually the two times they show up, okay? We're not mad at them for that, but here's what we, we know that God wants more for them, and so we need a prayer team for Easter. Uh, and there's a lot of things that will go into that prayer team for Easter um, that you'll get an email about because uh, it entails a whole lot, not just, oh, hey, let's have people show up on Easter. No, there's more to it than that. Um, but if you're interested in being on that prayer team, go ahead and sign up for that out there too, and I'll be getting in touch with you, Malia. Somebody will get in contact with you and let you know. This is a big deal. Prayer matters. And there's a whole list of other things. If you've decided you want to pray for the church, there's a whole list of things to be praying for. Whole list of things that we could use your prayer for. But as a member of the church, because church is not about us, it's not about our comfort, it's not about our desires, it's not about things being the way we like, you're called to pray. And you're called to pray for things that are bigger than you. That are bigger than me. Okay, you pray with me now. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We love the fact that you are a God that saves and pours into us in our relationships. You're a God that, that continues uh, to just give us good things when we ask because you care and you love us. And, and Father, when you say no, when you tell us no, even though it stings and it hurts, we thank you for that too because you're smarter than we are and you know better. Father, we ask that you just be with us this morning as, as we collect this offering, that you multiply it, that you use it to bring your kingdom in real ways. Uh, and, and more than that, God, that, that you would just empower us to be your church, to make a difference 
here and now, to pray prayers that are dangerous and then to listen when you tell us what to do and where to go and that we could live this life sold out for you because you matter and it matters. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Amen.